This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 171, Time. I'm Hal Hammonds, and I am a Citizen of Heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for checking in this week. This week, I spent some time with Jeff O'Rear, evangelist for the Judson Road Church of Christ in Longview, Texas, and co-host of the Working with the Word podcast, and also B.J. Sipe, evangelist for the Church of Christ in Danville, Kentucky, and the host of the Set Your Mind Above podcast. B.J. is yet another contributor to the Balancing the Christian Life Lectures. Check it out if you haven't already. In the first half of the conversation, we discuss Solomon's ideas about time in Ecclesiastes 3 and Morgan Tyree's book about sorting our time constraints by color. We've all heard the passage from Ecclesiastes 3. Most of us are at least aware of the bird's song derived from that passage. Everything has its appropriate season in the mind of God. But we don't have the mind of God. And oftentimes we find ourselves defining appropriately quite differently than he does. What are some of the times Solomon describes that we have trouble getting straight in our culture today? Gentlemen, the floor is yours. You know... You look at what Solomon's discussing here, and you talk about there being a time for everything. Uh, I think we need to clarify and go over that this does not necessarily mean that God is pleased with all of these things on this list. This is just the nature of life in this broken world that we live in. You know, a, a time to kill and a time to heal. You know, naturally, God created a world where things have to die for other things to have to live. But in the sense that we interpret that, you know, Solomon's not suggesting that there's a time to murder. But when you when you look at this list, a lot of what Solomon is discussing here is difficult because these are complete contrasts to one another. And we live in a world of extremes. And as you talk about the different times that Solomon is bringing out, really the word that I can use to describe what Solomon's trying to bring out is balance. And balance is one of those things that is difficult for us to understand and arrive at in our culture today. Understanding when is it time for this or that, you know, it's not always one way or the other, and not everything is always black and white. And so understanding that balance takes discernment and prayer and knowledge of God's will. And that's a difficult thing that we don't see reflected in our culture. We don't see balance in so many things. Jeff, what do you what do you think about that or what are thoughts that you've got? Just thinking about the question of what are some of these times that you know we have trouble getting straight, you know, silent and speaking. People are too prone. They keep silent. They don't speak up when they should. It may be that there's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe sometimes on the other end of that, it seems that everyone's trying to speak. I don't use Twitter, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, and those are definitely not knocks on those tools. I'm very appreciative of those tools and what can be done with those tools, but they're definitely prone in our culture to maybe lead us into you know, struggling with that idea. When do we be silent? When do we speak? Uh, when do we keep something? When do we throw something away? Uh, a couple of years ago was when Marie Kondo's stuff hit on Netflix, right? You know, letting something go. Does this bring me joy to hold on to it? That kind of, this is the way we've always done things. And so we're just always going to keep, or we're always looking for something new. We're just always going to throw away. I've heard a preacher use the phrase, uh, sometimes we need to be willing to put the bullet in something. This is going to vary place to place and church to church and life to life. You know, the way we approach something like evangelism, the way we approach something like the way we structure a worship service is door knocking still the way we're doing it. If it's working in our communities, that's great. If it's not, 
it's time to put the bullet in it, kill that thing and throw it away and move on. Personally, I struggle with the morning and dancing. My wife could tell me we're having a baby and I'll be like, hey, that's great. Someone could bring me some trash and say, hey, that trash was on the floor and I threw it away. I say, hey, that's great. It's going to be a very similar emotional (laughs) response. I struggle with some of that. That's more of a personal thing. But looking at some of the stuff in here, I think that your point Mm -hmm. that you made about there's a there needs to be a key of balance. It needs to be the understanding that, you know, this doesn't mean that God is encouraging us to do all these things like war or kill or hate. There's something to be said about the message of a whole and probably thinking about the conclusion of the matter. We want to find ways we're doing all of these things going through life in these times in this fallen world, still fearing God and keeping his commandments. To piggyback off what you just said, Jeff, Solomon revisits that in chapter seven. And he goes to verse eight and he says, the end of the matter is better than its beginning. And a patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. Don't let your spirit rush to be angry for anger abides in the heart of fools. And don't say, why were the former days better than these? Since it's not wise of you to ask this. And I think Solomon's getting to something really interesting there. You think about how much we struggle with the end of the matter, and yet that's the nature of the world that we live in. Everything ends because we live in a broken world, a fallen world. Things die. Even the way that we say prayers, when someone is struggling with their health, we're praying for God to heal that person so that they don't come to an end, so that they don't go home to their reward. We're not praying, God, give them spiritual fortitude and strength to trust you through this trial. We just have this this struggle with things coming to an end, and Solomon brings out, that's not wisdom. And it's better, actually, for things to come to an end. And we've got to understand why. And all of it goes back to the conclusion that you brought out and reminded us of the end in Ecclesiastes there, Jeff, is that all of this is tied in with the end of the matter which is to fear God and keep his commandments and that one day I'm going to stand before him in judgment. And, you know, if we attend to these things in a godly way, then the end of the matter really is better than the beginning because the end of the matter is going to be eternity spent with God as our God and us as his people. It's heartwarming to see that every aspect of life has its role, that it's a good thing. And I might be wrong about how important I thought it was, for instance, to throw stones when I was younger. And now I realize, you know what? I'm smarter than that now. I'm wiser than that now. I realize that a throwing stones moment might actually be a gathering stones moment. This reminds us maybe of of Jesus and the, the woman who was caught in adultery. There may be a time to throw stones, but it may not be every time. You know, maybe this is a healing moment instead of an accusing moment. And by knowing the difference, by knowing that each one has its place. And I'd even go so far as to say the killing thing. There are times when it's, it is appropriate to kill, even appropriate to kill humans, not even speaking metaphorically. But it's not every time. And with wisdom, with experience, with exposure to God's word especially, we come to realize what part each moment has. And it helps us understand better our role in the big picture of what God's trying to do in our lives and in our, the life of our culture. Along those same lines, the idea of weeping and laughing, uh, a lot of people's solution to the time for weeping is avoid weeping. Either don't weep when it's time to weep because you're too much of a man to do something like that. Usually it's men who do that. Or more likely, avoiding situations entirely where we think we're going to weep. 
And Solomon, not that he needs my approval on this, but he's absolutely right. There are times when it's important that we live in a sorrowful moment and that we learn the lessons that are there for us in that moment, that we're not going to learn at the party, that we're not going to learn at the celebration. It's every bit as important for us to weep with those who weep as it is to rejoice with those who rejoice, if only to remind us of the inadequacy and the the shortcomings of this life that we have here. Birth has its place. Death has its place. It all has its place. And I think this brings to mind another element that kind of you know, moves on from what Solomon is saying in, in Ecclesiastes 7 and what he's saying here. And that is understanding how God's sovereign nature works through all of this and how God can take both of these things and use them to accomplish his will. You know, I think about Romans chapter 8, that God causes all things to work together for good for those that love him. Uh, in every single one of these instances that we see, we can see how God throughout history has used both birth and death to accomplish his will. We can see how God has used planting and uprooting to accomplish his will, how he's used both killing and healing to accomplish his will, and all of these things. And I think one of the things that we need to really ask ourselves is when we are in that season, that time of one of these elements that we didn't wish was happening, we have to take a step back and ask ourselves, Am I insisting on my own will or am I being willing you know, to humble myself, to subject myself to the will of God? Because maybe it is God's time for this to take place, and I need to accept that and be okay with that. This is what I've been reading. Too much busyness, not enough productivity. That is the problem with many Americans today, according to Morgan Tyree in her book, Take Back Your Time. She emphasizes the importance of organizing your day, your week, and your life so as to maximize your effectiveness without bringing on the craziness. To be honest, the thought of actually filling out all the charts, graphs, and circles she provides makes me break out in a cold sweat. My mind does not work that way. But I'm all in favor, at least in general terms, with eliminating time-consuming clutter from our lives. How can we distinguish between being busy and being productive? And what price might we have to pay if we don't? I'll let Jeff go first this time since I went first last time. But I will say, you know, we all read this book. I think we all had things that we took from it and things that we were like, "Eh, you know, maybe not. Um, But, you know, she is a graduate from the University of Oregon. So that's at least going for her. So we need to (laughs) we need to we need to praise her for that. But (laughs) (laughs) but I'll I'll defer to Jeff and and let Jeff respond first to this one. And I'll chime in in a minute here. Well, uh, I wasn't completely sold on to all of the color coding. Uh, Some of the things in the middle of the book about green time zones, yellow time zones, red time zones. I remember reading, but those aren't the things I really took away. Um, I, I did enjoy some of the charts and timekeeping and thinking about when am I actually productive throughout my day? Just thinking about you know the question of being productive versus being busy. I know she gives some de- definitions about some of those things in there. My thought about being productive means that we're working towards you know a purpose or our purposes. Uh, she talks about maybe having three to five purposes. And I like the fact that she mentioned, you know, thinking about what are some things and just trying to focus a few key big things that God is prompting me to find fulfillment in, in my current season. The thought that these 
purposes could change, you know, even in the future as someone who read a time management book while having a three month old, uh, that will probably be very different time management look, you know, two years from now when my daughter is two instead of three months, but I can still be productive even in this season of life that being productive might look different than it did four months ago before my daughter was born, but I can still accomplish things toward those purposes. And some of those, as I'm being prayerful with them and being considerate, especially of spiritual goals with them, thinking that can be spiritual productivity as opposed to busyness, which is just doing things. And that's just kind of it. Uh, you know, I mm-hmm. have been done busy things before and I have been productive. You can't see the air quotes right now, but you can hear maybe the air quotes of been productive. Uh, I love just simple mundane things like organizing a library, organizing some periodicals I have in my office now, going through and just putting a, a big old stack that's like a full, you know, table wide of, okay, here's stuff that's from various different, you know, publications. So I'll organize them by publication. Then I'll organize them by decade. Then I'll organize them by issue date, blah, blah, blah. I could, I spent three days working on a project like that at one point, and I've got everything on the shelves now. It looks good. I, I know generally where things are, uh, but that did not help me be productive towards the sermon I necessarily had to preach or that difficult Bible class I was going to have to teach that coming Sunday. The points are made in the book that if you are a person who struggles with being productive because you're just either have physical clutter or mental clutter or emotional clutter, you have to address some of that clutter. But that's a very busy task rather than a productive task. Yeah. Um I really appreciate your thoughts, Jeff, on all that. I really also agree with you that I think the bread and butter of that book was in the beginning. Some people probably took a lot uh, because their mind works similar to Morgan's in the red, yellow, and green time, time zones. But I think the overarching principles that she was trying to establish have their base in a biblical perspective that can apply in different ways to everybody. The passage that came to my mind is in Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 15 and 16 and 17, where it says, pay careful attention then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I liked that she identifies like, what are my three or four purposes in my life. Because for me, when I read this book, it was very providential. I was at a point where I was not doing good with my time management for a couple of reasons. You know, the two lessons that I always go back to that was, you know, told to me at different points in my life growing up are these two things under promise, over deliver. Because what ends up happening is out of our best of intentions, we overpromise, but then we underdeliver and we try to put too much into our schedule than we are able to. And in doing so, we hurt others. We don't actually help others despite our best intentions. And the other lesson that she actually brought out specifically in her book, I didn't hear it from her first though, was the lesson that everything that you say yes to, you also say no to something else. I have these conversations with one of my shepherds all the time where I tell him, you know, I'm taking on a new study or something that's going on. He says, okay, where's that coming out of? And that's what he asks me. Like, you need to budget your time just like we budget 
our resources, our finances, different things like that, because out of the best of intentions, we say yes to all of these different things, but what we end up doing is saying no to the work that God's called us to do or other purposes of God. Like, I'm a husband and I'm a father, and God expects me to not neglect my family to save the rest of the world. And, you know, the stereotype with a lot of PKs, preacher's kids, is that their dad neglected them growing up and never spent any time with them because he was too busy off saving the rest of the world that they were always the ones that were told no. Like he was never at their game. He was never at their party. He was never with them at night because someone needs him. Yeah, but well, your kids need you too. And this is one of the things that I always go back to in Ephesians 5 is that we have to make the most of our time. And that doesn't necessarily mean squeezing as much as you possibly can into every single day. What that means is that I need to consciously look at the overarching objective. What is God's will in my life? And like you said, Jeff, that changes depending on the stage of life that I'm in. How I need to spend my time now with a three-year-old, a two-year-old, one on the way and a new puppy that we just got at home is different than when my kids are going to be in high school and middle school. But I think being aware of the situation of life that we're in and aware of where God desires for me to be right now and where my responsibilities are, are going to help us to prioritize things better because we can't just be creatures of habit and keep the same schedule and keep the same routine in our life constantly. We have to be moldable and flexible to allow God to move us where he needs us to go with our time and with our, you know, what we're doing, depending on what his will is for me in my life at this moment because of my circumstances. We all have 168 hours in a week. There are no exceptions to that. Nobody gets a pass. Nobody gets bonus time or whatever. It's not a matter of you don't have enough time to do this or that or something else. You're not allotting the time to do that, which may be fine. And that may be a, a good thing. It may be a needful thing. But like you were saying, BJ, things are going to get squeezed out when other things get squeezed in. I love the idea, though, of being organized toward a purpose. I'm one of these guys, and I'm not bragging about this at all. I'm one of these guys, half of my books are alphabetized and sorted according to release date and author's name, et cetera. And the other half are going to be piled up on the floor. That's that's the way <laughs> I are, am. Y'all are blowing my mind right now. I'm lucky <laughs> to have things organized by general genre. <laughs> yeah, right. It's Organization is fine. It, it can save you a lot of time. But if you spend 50 hours getting organized to save 10 hours in your life's work or whatever, mm -hmm. that's just liking a nice, pretty background behind your, your camera or things like that. It's not the same thing as actually accomplishing something for God. When I talk to soccer moms or Travel ball parents or whatever. About to bring up soccer moms. <laughs> trying to and I don't want to discourage anybody from their from their habits or their activities and such, especially yeah. when those activities are on the surface at least, 
intended to keep their kids on the straight and narrow and keep them off drugs and all that kind of thing or whatever the fear is these days. But that time is going to come from someplace. And I watch Mm -hmm. it come out of time that had been previously allotted to spiritual things over and over again. And I just have a tough time believing that's a good bargain. I'm not sure that that is the way that we're supposed to be going. You know, when you ask people if they're doing study and daily reading, a lot of times the reason that's given when people say that they aren't or that they can't is that they don't have time. That's something we need to make time for. Just like, you know, with giving, you know, we're to be generous givers and we're to give of our means as we've prospered. You know, if someone says, well, I just can't give, I just don't have the money. Sometimes the reason for that is because they have prioritized other things first. They have not budgeted for that. Like that's not a priority for them. It's not important. How we spend our time is going to be a reflection of what we actually find important. And what we find important is things that bring us entertainment and joy. That's why people spend three hours watching television at night when they get home from work but they don't have time to read their Bible or they don't have time to serve others. You know, we spend every night of the week going to games and getting our kids to five different functions and, you know, we lose sleep. And, but as a result, I have no opportunity to host and to be hospitable or to serve others. And that's a problem when I don't have those things budgeted in my time, which are, very clearly the will of God in our life that we are to be hospitable and serve and to, you know, grow in the knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ. When I just don't have time for those things and God gets the occasional leftovers, how are we supposed to stand back and say that I have made the most of my time? I know it wasn't the book that we talked about, but a book I read a couple of years ago by Kevin DeYoung called Crazy Busy was something that's, uh, I don't remember, again, every detail, but it's a book that I went through with a highlighter so I can find some things. And part of the question was, what price might we pay if we don't see the difference between productivity and just busyness? It says, busyness can ruin our joy. Rather than finding joy in life, we find ourselves, I'm so stressed because I'm so busy. Those people who, like you talked about, are maybe bragging about some of that. Well, because we're so busy, we're not finding joy because we're trying to fill our lives with things rather than fill our lives with joy that would be honoring God. Busyness robs our hearts. The idea that we find ourselves focusing on the cares of the world rather than on the spiritual purposes, the things that we're designed for, created by God to do. And he talks about how busyness can cover up the rot in our soul. If I'm so busy doing things all the time that it's keeping me from doing the important self-soul examining reflection to say, there's something in my life that's looking like sin. You know, busyness can get in the way of us having those moments. Maybe you start for a while of, it's not a big deal if I miss church. Then, you know, years later, maybe you never attend because you really don't care anymore. And the point is made within that book by Kevin. You you look at even busy people in the Bible. And if you want to talk about busyness from a scriptural perspective, you talk about Luke 10 and Martha. I mean, she was busy, but what did she need to do? She needed to sit at the feet of Jesus and... Mm -hmm. If we don't identify some of those dangers about being busy, then it can really lead to some issues and really cause us to pay a heavy price. If we get our the audience from this podcast goes out and they start doing scheduling, that's great. You find the balance between overscheduling and underscheduling, that's fine. But really, I think that as a people we're trying to encourage in the citizen of heaven being 
people who are spiritually minded would be make sure you're aware of how this is helping you spiritually to live the best life that will honor God and stand against temptation and sin. You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.howhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.